The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there is a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host. And Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag BigBeacon. And today we're pleased to uh, welcome a new sponsor to the show, uh, and I, I'm very pleased to say that this first segment of Big Beacon Radio is sponsored by Olin College, a new kind of engineering college, a privately funded national lab for education redesign with a passion for creating inspiring learning experiences. Find out more at olin.edu. And with that, let's uh, welcome to the show John Donald of University of Guelph. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, David. Thank you. Hey, it's great to have you here. And and uh, you know, we have a, we have listeners from all over the world, uh, many from the United States. Uh, your Canadian listeners know where you are, but 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 where exactly is the University of of Guelph for those people who aren't familiar? Okay. Well, the University of Guelph is in uh, in southern Ontario, uh, near Toronto, Canada. We're about a uh, hundred kilometers or sixty miles. Uh, west of Toronto and maybe about 120 miles, say, east of Detroit, for those of you uh, listening in the U.S. Yeah, and so I remember driving up from Hamilton, Toronto. You're in the in that uh, it's not far from not far from Waterloo, kind of that that neck of the woods. And John, you're a faculty member there and have held you've held academic leader positions in in uh, in Canadian colleges and and now you're at the the university there, including uh, you were a dean of engineering, and you've held a number of VP positions. But well, let's go back in the time machine. Um, what were some of the early influences that helped put you on your current path? Well, how far back in the time machine do you want to go? Well, it's you've got the knob on the on the year on the, the year leader there. So how far do you how far do you want to go back? Well, I'll just I'll just go back to I think you know getting into engineering. I mean, we talk about I became a dean of engineering at a college, and but getting into engineering was something that you know I think was fairly typical of what you would think uh, stereotypical of most students that got into engineering. As I was uh, interested in science and math. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and uh, and ended up in engineering. 
Usually, it's the little things that, uh, that tip you off. And I had a chemistry teacher in high school that, you know, thought I might be uh, a good engineer, but he said I needed to work a little harder and and uh, and do that. And that's that's sort of how I started thinking about engineering. I thought I'd go into math. So, you know, it's it's a lot of times just these little things that you experience that uh, shift you on your path. And I found through most of my career, uh, that's what's happened. So I had some co-op, so I went into the University of Waterloo uh, in engineering, mainly in civil engineering, mainly because I got a scholarship and that sort of influenced my decision. And then, you know, I started to see what engineering really could do through my co-ops. I worked in an iron foundry and a gas supply company and engineering consulting companies and, and really could see what engineers could do to solve problems for the world. Went to grad school and uh, that was because I just wanted to continue to sar- solve hard problems and thought I'd be interested in education. And, you know, that's how I kind of went through the process of be- becoming an engineer. And there the early influences, you know, you to look to the faculty. It's usually in the jobs where I, you know, I found my my influences, uh, people that were my uh, my direct supervisors, you know, encouraging me to go on and continue to work. Uh, yeah, is there someone? To, I mean, yeah, we're, we're sorry. In this show, we're interested in those little things more than the the big generalizations. So, like, uh, is there a uh, so for, you mentioned a chemistry teacher. There was a for for me yeah. a Mr. Ross back at Oak Park High in oh, Detroit Ross. was sort of an inspiration. He was my chemistry and physics teacher, and I played golf with him. He was a he was a hockey player and and uh, just a cool guy and and he was an inspiration. Anyways, there are oftentimes there are people who there's some they light a fire in us. They do something, but were there were there particular? You, know, you mentioned the chemistry teacher. Were there other particular individuals who were were um, um, somehow uh, respond, you know, we, we're so, sometimes we think of our yeah. careers as this planned thing, or we think that they should be planned, but they're usually, as as you say, these little things that happen at points in our life, and oftentimes they're emotionally engaging or somehow hit us the right way, and we do we do something, and so that that's what we're interested in. Anyone in particular yeah, I, that comes to mind? Well, I think I can, I can think of two people. One is actually as uh, Chance has it, a faculty member here at the University of Guelph, and his name is Dr. Ed McBain. And Ed was actually my master's student supervisor when I was at uh, the University of Waterloo. And, and so we've crossed paths many times in our career. He, he, was, uh, he was my master's supervisor, and then I went, went to work at an engineering company uh, once I graduated, and he was actually a partner in that firm at the time. I wasn't hmm. following it around. It just sort of happened. Yeah. And then and then when I returned here to, to well, not returned to Guelph, when I came to Guelph, uh, Ed was already a faculty member here. And one of the things that I think, you know, Ed did for me over the careers is he was, a, he really modeled, you know, what you could be both as an academic and as somebody working in the consulting world as a professional engineer. Many yeah. little, many little things. So he was he was key just to that experience. Um, so that was Ed. The other, I've lost track of who the other one is at this point. That's I can okay. Come back to that, but Ed, yeah. Ed is uh, Ed yeah. is the one that came to mind initially. Yeah, that's great. And 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 also, and 
we met through a whole new engineer and in a whole new engineer mark somerville and i talk about these unleashing experiences as central to well we think they've been central for a time immemorial but we think they're sent they're especially important as as we want the next steve jobs we want the next uh, uh, generation of of creative engineers that can create this this world that's uh that's shaping all around us and so um we're interested in these unleashing experiences where someone either we've either trusted ourselves or someone has trusted us and we've done something that we might not otherwise do and and uh, we got the courage to do that thing that we might not otherwise do and and something interesting happened as a result and so I'm just curious to what extent can you uh, call out uh, either individuals in your life or or uh, unleashing experiences? And they don't have to be unleashing with a capital U. They can be small <laughs> U unleashing. Yeah. Well, I think for me, um, like you said, what gives you the courage to go your own way? Yeah. Um, or, you know, I think for me it's really important. I, I can have these unleashing experiences if I feel comfortable and, and have a good base. So, you know, I'm really big on value-based, having a value-based compass. And, you know, so I, I always look back to if I'm in a, in a role that's a service-oriented, I get to work hard, there's honesty, integrity, um, and I can do it in a way where I think I'm fair, and then I can be comfortable. And a lot of that gets shaped by, you know, my, the values, but also the people that are close to me. So I think of my wife, Kristen, and my father and mother, and just having those experiences. And when I feel comfortable... In that, then I think I can move forward and have unleashing experiences and not be afraid to fail because I think that really is what, you know, is a barrier to, to be, being able to take a lot of the risks that are associated, I think, with unleashing experiences. Yeah. You need to be, be not afraid to fail. So, so I think, um, you know, I can think of a number of, uh, I've, I've had a number of different jobs and most of the time I've gone to the jobs, I've been, uh, uh, put into situations where it's either a sink or swim. And, and one job I can think of is, is when I first went to the college systems, um, my role was to become the uh, director of educational technology, which really meant, you know, start up the college on its pathway to uh, doing online learning. So they basically had one or two courses that were contracted it out and they wanted to put in a full system and it was being done under a large contract and essentially coming in new to the college, building it up from scratch. It was this experience that, you know, unleashing from a number of ways, one me yep. personally, but two with the organization. And then I could, you know, it was a really fun experience for me to be able to just be let go and and do that and transform both myself in terms of leadership and feeling comfortable in an academic environment because, David, I don't know if you've been in an academic environment before. Oh, yes, you have. You've spent many years <laughs> in an academic environment. But when yep. you come in as an outsider, um, yep. it, is very, it can be very intimidating because uh, everybody's so educated and knowledgeable and, and uh, you come in as a new person. And uh, so that was a really, really good experience for me. And... Um, Allowed me to build that and also help the institution move forward in its uh, in its goals. Beautiful and and yeah and it's so it's interesting when people tell their unleashing stories how different they are. They can be um, this positive challenge of this big thing to do that you don't know how to do and you do it and there's so much learning in that and 
I hear that uh, I hear that in young consultants and young engineers kind of thrown out into the world and boom, how do I how do I do this? And they do it, and it's so empowering when when they do. And so you know, sometimes there's more or less support along the way, and then sometimes they they're also they're negative too, where um, someone says you can't do something, and you say, oh yeah, yeah, I can, and and you go yeah. do it, and and you you show it. So no, that's uh, thanks for sh- for sharing that. We you know we met um, I think in you know we had a phone conversation, uh, and I think it was in connection with. Uh, you're having read a whole new engineer and being curious about yeah. what was going on in Big Beacon, and and so and I don't know if you can think back to when you read it, but we, the the book is a big part of the program, and and so I'm just curious what was it, and and I'm not actually fishing for compliments, but um, <laughs> actually more I'm curious about what um, you know. Sometimes people read it and go, "Come on, get real, guys. This is ridiculous." So I'm curious what your reaction to reading the book was, and. Um, um, you know, what what you were thinking about at the time and and as uh, well let's start there what were you thinking about at the time and your reaction to the book well i think at the time i i'm basically uh going through my career path I, i've kind of returned to engineering i spent a lot of time when i was a dean of engineering but i also spent a lot of time uh as a vp in international development uh community development and i hadn't really I hadn't really been as connected to engineering as I had been in earlier in my career. So, and I'm involved in the accreditation process here at the University of Guelph. And uh, it, the university is, has been growing, but the school itself has been growing tremendously. So, um, I'm very interested in, I was very interested in just learning about some of the new approaches that, with respect to engineering education. I'm involved in the Canadian Engineering Education Association. So this book was one that just kind of stood out to me just by the title as a whole new engineer. So that was what I was thinking at the time. I was thinking, you know, I need to learn more about educational change in engineering. And um, you were asking about, I think, uh, what I found interesting or what struck me. I, yep. I would say, you know, to me, when I read the book, it was just the whole... You, you packaged it around this Olin College experience, which just so happened, you said it was the sponsor today. Yeah. Um, but the Olin College experience and just the circumstances where somebody had, or, or a foundation, if I remember correctly, had a vision that they would just fund the startup of a new engineering school from scratch. Yeah. And that sort of just caught my attention at the beginning. And then the pieces in it that uh, struck with me were were how in the process there was a significant engagement of the students. I believe you developed the first first year curriculum and jointly with a cohort of students. And that really just, you know, seemed like a very different approach and innovative, but also something that made a lot of sense. And then there were lots of other, you know, sure. uh, uh, information in the book. But those things struck me. The other thing that struck me actually, actually as I read it was how Closely, even though that was a startup, you did reference that you know at uh, <clears throat> at your institution, I in uh, at the uh, University of Illinois, you yeah. were uh, you had worked with iFoundry and how you were able to bring some of the concepts into a uh, an engineering a large engineering school. I thought a lot of what was in the book already was here at Guelph, yeah, and that the challenges that we were having is you know we have an interdisciplinary program and one of the challenges we're having is we're growing a lot. 
and and uh, yeah. interdisciplinary component is as you move as you grow is a difficult thing to keep. So the so the book really helped it helped me get through that. And as they say in Nolan's uh, mission, something we see the future where engineering becomes a true liberal education, and that that all sort of was a aha type of moment for me. So I really connected with the book, and that's why I reached out, and or we reached out and connected yeah. with each. Yeah, and I'm and um, well, and thanks for and and thanks for sharing that. And and I was struck too when I visited uh, Guelph that there's a lot of a lot of good stuff, and there are a lot of, you know there are a lot of great programs out there that are unheralded that have had good things for a long time, and part of mission of Big Beacon is to um, is to get those to be better known, but also to um, there are risks, as you say, of when you grow, the, there's risks of losing that, and the predominant culture still is kind of honorary and and uh, and not very student friendly. And so, if you if you value those things, how do you either preserve them or not just preserve them, enhance them, and even go go further? And that's, I think, part of um, what I've valued in our our conversations. So, you know, you uh, there are many notable engineering programs in in Canada. Um, you were around. If I, I think I've got the dates right. Around 2012 or 2013, you were a VP at Georgian College. Yeah. And and uh, you took a faculty position at at Guelph. What? And I maybe we've already just heard it. But what attracted you uh, to uh, uh, being a faculty member at Guelph? Well, I think. Um, well, yes, you've heard much of it. It's a great program at Guelph. Um, you know, there's a lot of great engineering programs, like I said, but a great one at Guelph. But Guelph, it's the little things, a, a lot of it. One, there was an opportunity, and I had, you know, one of the things in being a VP is, is as, as hard as you can try, you try, you're not as connected to the, the day-to-day educational delivery and the students. Um, so, you know, I was looking for an opportunity that would provide me with that, and this opportunity also let me get back into... Uh, into the engineering field again, which I which I had uh, moved away from. Yes. Chance to engage with students and and also my family's in the area, so you know there was also uh, all other you know there's no one thing that usually goes into a decision. Sure. I knew a few of the faculty, so it, and the other thing that actually really attracted me was this growth, the fact that you know they'd grown, they they have a vision to grow. Uh, I don't mean grow for growth's sakes, but it's just basically become so successful that, um, you know, it was attractive to me because I do like, one of the things I've always liked being involved in is change initiatives and, mm-hmm. and growth. And uh, so there was a lot in the mix um, that brought me to Guelph. Yeah, and and um, and and so for some of our listeners, uh, you know, in the, in the United States, we use the term college and, and university fairly not interchangeably, there'll be colleges inside of universities, and and so the term. But in Canada, there's a pretty clear distinction between colleges and universities, if I'm not mistaken. Can you help uh, tune our listeners into that distinction? Yeah, yeah, Dave, you, you might be getting me in trouble with this question. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's a very no. I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing <laughs> you. It's a, it's, a, it's a somewhat of a cooperative, uh, cooperative, competitive environment. But colleges and universities. Are, are distinct in Canada. So when you hear the word college, um, they're both post-secondary academic institutions. And I think uh, university, to make it simple, um, again, uh, this is generalizing a little bit, but it, it focuses on, it, the programs are undergraduate, 
graduate programs in research. And um, I think the values, if you university values the pursuit of truth and and uh, at the University of Guelph, the aim of the University of Guelph is to, ser- to, to serve society, enhance the quality of life through scholarship. So that would be a typical university, which I think would be in parallel with what you would think of a university in the United States. The colleges, though, they, they're more focused on, they have a full range of degrees, uh, or, or not full range of degrees, full grain, range of academic credentials, ranging from what we call diplomas and all the way up to degrees. So, for example, uh, and they also do postgraduate certificates. So if you graduate with a degree from university, you can go to a college. So they're, they, um, again, the quality is high, but they're focused more on the relevance of the graduates in the workplace. And, you know, they would, they would be teaching and learning focused and innovation and par- partnerships, although they do do some applied research. So, um, but they offer all the way up to degrees. And in fact, um, you know, they engineering, there are some engineering degrees in Canada that are accredited uh, that are run through our college system. And I think um, you did all, I don't think you're going to get any hate mail from any of the oh, okay, uh, okay, people okay. on either, either side of the divide there in Canada. I thought you were fairly even-handed, and that's, that sort of comports with my uh, limited understanding uh, south of the border yeah. here. But, but, uh, but it is uh, sometimes people in the states and elsewhere don't understand that that's a pretty clear and distinction, whereas it's uh, something called a university or college uh, more – it's more interchangeable than, than that um, here in here in the states, for example. Why don't we? Yeah, there's I, a lot of pathway we, development between the two as well. So why don't we? Well, let's take a little bit of a break, and I, I want to come back after the break and uh, uh, maybe uh, see if we can finish up the the things that you find distinctive about Guelph, but also talk a little bit about your interest in um, uh, teaching leadership to engineers. How about that? Sounds great, Dave. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, John Donald of the University of Guelph. Stay with us, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, teaching leadership in the next segment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 
1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And the second segment is sponsored by the book that is transforming higher education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And we're back with uh, John Donald of the University of Guelph. And, and John, we were talking a little bit about, about Guelph and, and uh, you're talking about how it was growing and, and uh, that that attracted you. What are, uh, what are some of the factors behind uh, Guelph's growth? What is it, what is it that makes it uh, distinctive and, and uh, an interesting engineering program? Well, I think it, so at Guelph we have seven programs. So we have a, a cluster around biomedical and biological engineering. We have a computer engineering cluster. Um, we have mechan- mechanical engineering. And then we have uh, water resources and environmental engineering. So sort of have four major clusters with seven programs and. And the unique thing about uh, Guelph is it's, it is a very interdisciplinary focused uh, uh, design of the program. So we have a, a core, a common core of courses where all seven programs, the students will uh, be in the same classroom. So in our first year engineering cohort, which is about 450, all seven streams of students work together on a common design project and they have courses together in the same uh, and there, there are other courses they have together. And then that gets carried through the four years in a, in a core, uh, just not all the courses, obviously, but a, a sure. subset of the courses. We have uh, a second-year engineering design course where they're all in it, a third-year and a fourth-year engineering design course where they work on multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary-type projects and get to work as teams, and they, and they graduate with a really... A good broad understanding of engineering both inside and outside their discipline and then they um, they add to that with their own discipline discipline specific courses discipline specific designed courses in their own uh, core streams so that really allows uh, that really allows the students to have when they graduate uh, to be very team oriented have understanding of different disciplines needs and from a faculty perspective, we operate as uh, one department with seven programs, which, you know, the only way this works is if we all work together across seven programs as faculty to make it work. Yeah, and it seems that it's, you know, and I, and I think when you were talking before that that's the risk of the growth is, is uh, and, and, uh, and I think when I came to campus, that sounded like that that was some of the concern about the future of the program had to do with, all right, so, uh, and actually goes to the, actually goes to the culture of the program. A lot of what Mark and I found interesting about, about change initiatives wasn't necessarily content and curriculum and pedagogy. And that's not to say that the design of your curriculum isn't important to having a different culture, but it's sort of the way in which, um, faculty do work together, students do work yeah, together or not, or not. Go ahead. Yeah, it's how we live, right? We live, I mean, it's a big part of, uh, you know, our, our, our jobs is the, is the curriculum. And so they go hand in hand, the, the culture and the curriculum go hand in hand in a lot of ways. So, so yeah, it's important to change it. It's important to look at the curriculum, but you also need to foster the culture to support that. Yeah. So if you were to, if, if you were to sort of, so you, 
if you were to characterize, so there are different characterizations of of uh, of culture. So culture, in some sense, is the way we do things here, in whatever organization we're in. But it's also uh, uh, at the highest level of culture. If we use uh, Shine's model, there are artifacts of the culture. So the curriculum and courses and um, can be an artifact. Buildings can be an artifact. Classrooms can be an artifact. But even speech patterns can be an artifact. And then below the surface of of artifacts are are the are the values, the espoused values, the thing we things we say about a program. And underneath the um, espoused values are the actual deep assumptions that we we live. So if you were to if you were to talk about sort of try to disconnect the culture from the, the curriculum. What, what's distinctive? Um, I think we heard some of it in, in the teamwork, the, the pervasive teamwork, the faculty working together in one unit. But how day-to-day, if we were to walk down the halls, uh, how would we feel that, 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 that Guelph difference? Well, I think that the one thing that we really uh, try to have as a culture is, even though we're growing, is that we, we want to feel like a small school. So we want to feel like we know each other. We want to feel like the students know the faculty. We want to feel like we're involved in a community and other uh, experiences that have meaning. So I think that's the culture that we have. And uh, so we can walk down the hall and students can walk the hall and they know their professors by name. Um, and uh, we as a group also know faculty from outside of our program areas and and can meet and have conversations uh, both on a personal and a, um, a professional level. So I think that is the, you know, one of the deep values that we have that we want to maintain. And I do think it translates into uh, uh, great uh, programs and student success as well. Yeah. And so one of the one of the one of your jobs, one of your roles at, at Guelph is um, is the active teaching of of uh, of leadership. To engineers, so how do you, how do you, um, um, what would you like our listeners to know about um, your coursework and leadership for engineers at Guelph? Well, I guess um, first of all, first of all, just what kind of course it is. So it's a graduate level course. It's a full uh, uh, semester course. So it's thirty six hours of of in class time, mm-hmm. and it's if you and it is. Um, that the students love it. <laughs> so they, it was kind of an experiment. I've done it four times. Yeah. Or I'm in the fourth uh, iteration, and they learn a lot. The students are ready for it. And I know they use it later based on talking to them after they graduate. So, so I think, uh, you know, what I like to, I think it's something that's different. And that uh, I, you know, what I do is basically very typical in terms of a, an, uh, a leadership course and uh, allowing them to, um, you know, sort out their values and uh, have value-based leadership and basically learn some theory, observe others, and then do it. So I have them do it through, so they experience, so I'd like to uh, listeners to know is that the students, even though in our engineering programs we do a lot of writing and we do a lot of presentations, we don't really have um, a lot of let's call, call it intentional leadership training or intentional leadership uh, discussions. And so through the theory and observation of others and doing it, uh, they, they start to be able to take all of things that they already have in, inside them and bring it into the context of, of leadership. 
Yeah, so there are many, so there are many approaches to leadership, and there are many many theoretical frameworks for leadership. What in what in what uh, which ones in particular do you find um, important enough to present to the students? Well, I take an approach of I, I use a book uh, called uh, the Leadership Challenge. That's the main book that I use, and it's by uh, uh, a, a pair of authors. Uh, called Kuzes and Posner. And it's a framework of leadership that's really around uh, uh, personal leadership that's been effective in getting things done. So the five, the five, uh, excuse me, the five practices they have are model the way, inspire shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act, and encourage the heart. So that's a framework that... Uh, it's a it's a it's a very rigorous framework when you get through the book, and I use it basically as the core piece that I that I operate from in my course. And then there's all kinds of other you know there's servant leadership and they learn different elements around uh, charismatic leadership and all the other type of leadership principles. But I want them to walk away with something that they can develop sort of their personal approach to leadership, and. Then This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, John Donald of the University of Guelph. Stay with us. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. 
And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's Educational Innovators Working Group, or EIWG. Join us for monthly meetings, action-oriented learning action teams, and help create change that sticks at your school. Go to bigbeacon.org and sign up as an advocate, or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. So, uh, John, we're... we're um, we're back in the final segment here, and I, I want to follow up on some of the things you were saying about leadership. I, I, very, I like the, uh, the book, The Leadership Challenge, very much and find it to be a useful uh, framework in, in my, my coaching as well. But I guess I'm, you know, that actually um, uh, engineer, a, a leadership has not typically been part of the traditional education of engineers. Uh, I think it, um, think it should be. I uh, been an advocate of, uh, of all kinds of soft skill and leadership training for engineers for a long time, but um, but I'm curious about your view. Why why should engineers learn about leadership? Well, I think uh, first of all, uh, I think engineers do have the basic skills and develop the basic some you know very important basic skills to become leaders, but they actually don't even know it until they sort of mm. go through their careers. So they're you know, if you ask any engineer that is in a leadership position, whether it's in engineering or not, they'll tell you that, you know, problem solving and being pragmatic has been very important for them as a leader. And, you know, going through the program, you develop grit, you know, and you have values that are, you know, protection to the public and ethics. So you have this foundation that just through your education and your aptitudes, uh, set you up to be a strong leader, and and so then they're not explicitly taught it. So I think they you need to just basically be explicitly taught it, so that you have an awareness of what your potential is. And you know, in the Harvard, I was uh, just looking through my notes last night, and uh, in 2014, uh, the Harvard Business Review did a study on the top 100 CEOs in the world. These are yeah. companies that were sustainable, showed growth and uh, and uh, success over a number of years, not just one year. And 24 of the top 100 CEOs in the world have an engineering background or had an engineering background according to that study. So that wasn't just in the United States. That wasn't just in, it wasn't in Canada. It was worldwide. So I think it's very important for the engineers to be taught it so that they're aware that they can contribute that way. And then I think the second thing is I think engineers also need to get involved and they have a skill set for today's world that's so technology-based. We know the solutions and the policies that need to be developed will influence how technology gets used. I think it's really important for engineers to be involved in that. And we typically aren't involved in that at the policy level. Um, I looked up uh, last year, I looked up in our uh, federal government in Canada 12 of the, when I counted in the fall, 12 of the 334 MPs were, um, had an engineering background. That's not a lot compared to some of the other disciplines like uh, lawyers and business folks. Um, So there's an opportunity when we talk about the big questions like climate change and things like that for engineers to also contribute from a societal perspective on the leadership side. And, and so it's interesting, I'm interested that you're teaching this at, at the graduate level. By you know, so the, by, by the time the engineers get to be uh, final year students, you know, I think a lot of our the training has persuaded them that 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 there's an equation that the tech stuff equals engineering. And so mm-hmm. sometimes when you get 
that attitude, trying to teach leadership can be a tough slog after someone's been through an engineering education, but you're saying the kids love it. So what, what do you have to, um, what, what do you, what's your, what are the students' reactions to this when, when they get to your class? Well, I think one of the things that at a graduate level that where, you know, they love it, they're ready for it, I said, but they also have the time for it Mm. because one of the challenges in teaching, uh, let's call it soft skills, or in this case, leadership at a, at the undergraduate level is the curriculum is packed. So, um, so you can, you, even if they were ready for it, there's not necessarily the, the time available to do things uh, like reflections. Uh, you know, we, I have them in my course. They do a reflective journal where they're weekly writing about leadership and what they see relative to the frameworks that we're studying. Right. Um, they, in, you know, I have them go to a project where they interview leaders and they have to go and recruit those leaders and, you know, figure out what questions they're going to ask them. So I think a lot of it is around... Uh, to study it is harder at the undergraduate level. But once they get to the graduate level, one, they've got the experience, two, they have the time. Yeah, but and that's actually interesting. And I, I want to talk about this the subject of, of soft skills. We throw it around a lot, but I find everyone has kind of a little different definition if they define it at all. So um, if, from your perspective, you know, what are... Um, what are the soft skills? Well, I guess, uh, I don't know if I have any kind of special definition beyond most other folks, but really, to me, the soft skills, I, I, I would say they're all the non-technical skills. So I have, uh, I mean, they, they're skills that integrate, allow you to integrate your um, technical knowledge in a way that you can come up with, uh, that you can communicate it, that you can can uh, make it happen and be effective work in teams. From the course learning outcome perspective, I mean, in Canada, we have our programs are accredited by the uh, uh, Canadian Engineering Accreditation Board, and and so in terms of students when they graduate their outcomes, there's there's 12 that we need to report to. Five of them are technical. And then seven of them are non-technical, so things like communication skills, professionalism, ethics. So, so I, I like I kind of like the term soft skills because it it uh, sets them off against the technical skills. But I I don't know if I like the fact they really are core skills though, and that's recognized by the accreditation board. I think well, I don't think accredit- I actually don't actually think accreditation boards have any more handle on soft skills than anyone else. They come up with these lists and they measure these things, but um, and they ask, you know so they ask us to check those boxes and show how we're doing it. But I'm not sure that they actually have um, particularly rigorous ways of thinking about soft skills either. So there's a there's a sense oh. in which that we use there's a sense in which we use the term soft skills sort of in general about the things that you said. I view all those yep. things as kind of derivative. Like, for example, you just talked about reflection. In my mind, noticing and reflection is a core, and I, I don't use the term soft because I hate it, but uh, okay. the, I use the term shift skill because yep. they're actually they're actually that. at the they're actually yep. at the core of what of how we make these things rigorous. And once we get that core right, that we actually we can actually move to things like like ethics is a is a second order. Um, soft skill because it's 
because it really requires the, the, the deep personal shift skills before we can actually master it. And so I think there's a lack of, a, a lack of, and this is, this is, I'm giving my own assessments here, which I rarely do on this show, but, uh, or, or I don't do as often as I, as I could since, since it's my show, but, but it just seems to me that that's, that it's, uh, that, that we, there's this core that we sort of assume or we don't go after. But for example, having your kids journal and, and reflect in that way, it seems to me is, is that's a, that's a central shift skill, and that actually we should be doing that from day one of year one, in my view. Yep. Come. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think we should be do, doing journaling from day one and teaching people how to actually think about their journal entries. So when you do reflection, it's not ju- it's not a diary. It's it's uh, it's yep. basically describing what you do, analyzing what you do, and then evaluating evaluate you know, how you are going to use what you've learned moving forward. And it's, it's an important for learning and lifelong learning, but it's actually important in your, in your um, ability to be a good engineer and a, especially a good design engineer because being able to capture that in an effective and efficient way that's relevant to both you and, and the work that you're doing is a skill. It's, it's not just cataloging. So I agree. We should be doing it right from the beginning. Yeah, and so I think it's I think it's that confusion over you know. So first of all, by calling them soft and the and the and the intention in a technical education is that this technical stuff is the hard stuff, and the stuff that's mm-hmm. really important to master. And no, actually, nobody's disputing that. I'm not suggesting that we should have engineers without physics or math or calculus or anything anything of the sort. Although sometimes I get accused of that. But 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 the, these other things. They're actually not that numerous, and we sort of do them, but we don't do them with intention or very, very well. And a little bit, a little bit of work early in a in a in a high in a secondary education would go a long way to to doing that if we actually knew what the work was. Is is sort of yeah. where I'm coming from on all this. And well, I and also think I also agree. think to do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, keep going. But, and you also okay. think- and I, I also think part of the challenge is, is we're not necessarily in our own uh, faculty groups. Uh, we don't necessarily have the skills to be able to uh, construct the frameworks to evaluate and assess that. And we need to get help from other areas of the institution. So one of and, you know we yeah. so when we we have a uh, a course where you know we get the history faculty involved in, but we also reach out to our open learning departments to try to figure out how to do fr- to build frameworks in order to, uh, to let us, uh, you know, build this into our programs. But I think we need to do more of that, and I think we need yeah. to get more than just our open learning centers involved. Well, and, you know, with the assumptions often made, and liberal, ed- liberal arts educators will claim the mantle of these shift skills, but to be honest, they... They're okay on the, I would say, the cognitive side, but um, of of the shift skill ledger, things like critical, critical and reflective thinking, but not mm-hmm. so. They're not so great on the emotional side of the ledger, or and they do nothing on the. You know, leadership is a body sport. It's a you show up in an embodied human being, and part of your leadership is how you show up in that body and how that. How your eye contact and how you carry yourself affects other people, and, they, and there's almost nothing 
uh, in the liberal on the liberal arts side. In in say theater arts, there is, or in dance, there's body, right. but it's not integrated in any sense. So, when people kind of suggest liberal arts as a broad brush solution to to the soft skill soft skill side of the ledger, I I, I also think they're they're as they're as screwed up as the accreditation agencies. Uh, I'm being a little provocative today, but com- comment, and it's okay to disagree. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't have mentioned accreditation agencies because it, you're right. It is up to us to to uh, build this into the programs and, and make it work. But the, um, I, you know, I agree with you. I think one of the things that was interesting, you just made me think about how when one of the studies that I've been involved when in, I'm working with uh, one of uh, Sophie LaChapelle and and uh, and uh, Gloria Gonzalez, mm-hmm. who are faculty members here. One is in history, one is in um, in psychology. And we did focus group studies on our graduating students and asked them about the, these uh, complementary skills. In Canada, a lot of times we call them complementary studies. Mm-hmm. I, that's sort of uh, again built out of the terminology that was uh, that's in uh, our accreditation process, but. That's a, that's another way to exclude them. That's another way to exclude them from being the important stuff. That's another right. term. Okay, good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the 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 um, but one of the interesting thing was when we interviewed the students and talked about the skills. A lot of the skills they get are integrated into their coursework, right? So when they're doing projects and all the rest, they just we're just not necessarily as formally as, as possible uh, creating those opportunities uh, in terms of assessment. But when yeah. you talk to them, I, I know uh, both uh, well, Sophia and Gloria, they were, they were very impressed with the way that the students could articulate many of these shifts, you know, their experiences relative yeah. to the shift skills, yeah. you know, and, and, and surprised in some ways. And I know I'm speaking for them now, but if you talk to uh, Sophie, uh, that would be the case. She would say that, and she has said that at some of the conferences where we've presented this. Well, and and sometimes when people outside of engineering are surprised at how much um, care engineering faculty actually invest into this non-technical side of engineering, even though we do our best to kind of keep it off to the side and not really have it inhabit the mainstream of what we do, that there is also the fact that uh, engineering colleges are at the forefront of establishing and schools of engineering education and and that engineering education reform is is always always a hot talk but going back a century and a half or so um, mm-hmm. but but um, so it's it, it's often surprising to people outside of engineering to see this much care put um, put into it but um, I guess coming back to um, I'd like to kind of shift gears and 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 come back to the the work at golf and continuing uh, progress at golf. And before I do that, actually, you mentioned the uh, we were talking about engineering education societies, and I noticed on your LinkedIn uh, page that uh, last year, if I'm not mistaken, you were elected president of the Canadian Engineering Education Association. Is that did I get that right? You got that right. Well, I'm actually president elect, so I was. Uh, so this year, I'm. The in, I guess the, I'm the incoming president, and next year I'm actually the president. The current president's name is uh, Brian Frank. Um, yeah. He's from Queen's University. And, and, so, uh, yeah. and yes. Yeah, congratulations. And so, and, and, you know, those, and I've been to a, a CWEA meeting um, out west uh, once and was, was impressed with the earnestness of the people and the, and the presentations I saw. As, um, 
so as as the incoming president, what what do you what do you hope to do on on your watch uh, as as part of the as president of the Canadian Engineering Education Association? Well, I think well the 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 uh, mission of the association is to. Uh, and I'm going to read here off of our website, enhance the competence and relevance of graduates from Canadian engineering schools through continuous improvement in engineering education and design education. So this association's been around uh, since uh, 2010. Uh, it's run a number of conferences and, and you know, what's happening is it's growing. So it's, it, it, you know, it's taken a number of years to gain momentum and it's a, it's an, uh, and like you said, you've gone to our conference, which is the main event right now. And I think the goal of the association right now is just to continue that momentum and grow and get more um, more work done on sort of scholarly work related to understanding and demonstrating practices that work in engineering education. So um, that work is currently underway. Uh, the current president is carrying that mission forward. And, and I think when I'm there, I think we will still be going through that sort of process of trying to educate um, uh, our engineering faculty across the country around um, uh, 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 discipline-specific uh, education research and how to do it in a way that it can gain sort of a relevance and also respect um, be in the scholarly area, not just in the in the teaching practice area. And and so there's a distinction that we make in uh, leadership coaching between um, so there's you can say there's there's administer you can be an administrator a manager and a leader, and yep. all three of those can be good things. An administrator is about the past, making the past happen tomorrow. The manager is about making today better, and a leader is about the the future. And you. You're a teacher of leadership to engineers, uh, so I'm I'm curious what the leadership challenge for the head of the CWEA is uh, going forward about the future of engineering education in Canada. Well, I think the leadership challenge for uh, it is really to make the to get this to have sort of status. I'm, I don't know if that's the right word, but recognition or prestige, whatever it is, within the discipline, like within the mm. within the university itself, so that young faculty will want to do this earlier in their careers. That's what that's what I think. I mean, I'm I'm not saying it in the, I'm saying it in the sort of the in the halls type of yeah. um, impact I'd like to have it to have because right now, if most of the people, this has been my observation anyway, that get into trying to do scholarly work in engineering education need to do it after they've already established themselves in another in another disciplinary endeavor. Right. Because then they have then they have the freedom to do that and uh, not jeopardize their career development. So that is, um, I mean, maybe that sounds strong, but I think that's really. For to be, you know, people, for us to be good at teaching and understand what we're um, practicing relative to our own discipline, I think that's really important that we uh, have people working on it um, rigorously earlier in their careers than they currently do now. We just have uh, about a minute left, and I wish we had more um, time, but um, maybe give you the, the last minute here to to say whatever you want to, what would you like to uh, leave uh, 
our listeners with, uh, and then also just give a, if, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, coordinates uh, so that they can contact you if, and find out more about your work as well. Oh, I guess in terms of uh, leave the, uh, first I just wanted to thank you, David, for having me on the show. This has been a lot of fun and I've enjoyed having uh, many conversations with you. And I think, um, you know, as far as the listeners go, I think this is all a work in progress and I think the engineering uh, discipline is uh, is uh, growing and and I just hope we continue to be able to focus on innovation looking at the uh, teaching and the curriculum and making good things happen in engineering. So I hope I'm contributing to that. That's all I would like to say. And if people would like to talk more to me about my work or have, have thoughts that they'd like to, uh, to pass on or have me respond to any questions, uh, I can be reached at my email at the university. Uh, my uh, email address is jrdonald, that's J-R-D-O-N-A-L-D, at U-O-Guelph, that's U-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Thanks, John, for, for being on the show. My pleasure, David. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Thanks to our special guest, John Donald. Thanks to our our sponsors, a whole new engineer, Olin College and EIWG. And let's help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.